So then we move on though. Here's the repeated chorus. Seagull, you must have known for a long time the shape of things to come. Now you fly through the sky, never wow. asking why. In case you were wondering if fly, sky, and why rhyme, they do. So hold on. So they're flying through the sky, never asking why. And I'm like, well, okay, good, good like that. And you fly around till someone shoots you down. That's what? the end oh. for the seagull. And I was like, even as a 16 year old, I was like, is that a thing? Do people Shooting shoot seagulls? seagulls? Why, why would you shoot a seagull? Like, like it's not a duck. Like, no. what are you doing <laughs> killing a seagull? It's not a duck. 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. That is not your bed. I am at the beach where I ought to be. Yeah, on the family vacation with uh, my wife's family, the annual sojourn to the Jersey Shore. The tip, the absolute tip of the Jersey Shore. So, yeah, we're here. We got in late last night. So this is actually the first thing I'm doing before... Oh. Any any uh, any exciting beach family activities we, I'm on the pod? Oh my gosh, we are we are honored, are we not, Ben Barton? Oh, indeed, for sure. <laughs> and we'll hustle so you can get out to the beach. We're not going to. That's gonna go right. Long. This is going to be a, a forty-five minute pod. Let's once go. upon yeah, right. Once upon a time, there was a little year <laughs> called nineteen seventy-four. <laughs> well, I got I got to start off on a sad note uh, today. A good friend of ours died yesterday. Um, Mary Busco, who was Robot Lady's bridesmaid and um, has just become a great, great friend over the years. She had a stroke in April and just uh, had had fits and starts uh, ever since then. And then uh, pneumonia caught up with her. Um, just such a bummer because so full of life, so friendly. The, the only person in the world who would ask me what I was writing and well, what's the story about? And like, nobody does that to a person writing screenplays. Like people run uh, away <laughs> from screenwriters. Like, I don't want to hear anything about it. Uh, but just a very giving, warm person. Um, also a fan of the podcast, which is really cool because she was a music nut. And uh, Jeff, we're going to play a little Tom Petty for her to kick off our podcast. I know it's 1974, uh, but for Mary, we're gonna p- play her favorite artist. Some days are diamonds, some days are rocks. Some doors are open Some roads are blocked Sundowns are golden Then fade away And if I never do nothing i get you back someday Cause you got a heart so Crush this town 
All right. Thank you so much for indulging me, uh, Tom Petty. I'm sh- when Tom Petty died, Jeff, like she was as devastated as you were. And I sent her your blog post for that day. And it, she, she thanked me for it. Like the, <laughs> she needed to process uh, his death just as much uh, as you did. All right. Uh, who's in charge of the, who's in charge of the awkward segue? That appears to be you, but again, super sorry. If you Thank wanted you. an even more awkward segue, what version of that song is that? That's not the one from the soundtrack. It is. It's, it's, it's the one they called Wall's uh, Circus. Yeah. It's the one that has Lindsey Buckingham singing background. It's just fabulous. It's actually my favorite version of a song, but it's not the one that was the single. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's really, it's really great. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know that was Lindsey Buckingham. Uh, In the background uh, at the end where the high. The yeah, high, yeah, yeah, uh, well, yeah. Oh, that's so fun. How, did they know each other? Oh, I assume that they met before that happened. But <laughs> well, I, I mean, they're both L.A. Uh, I don't know. famous musicians. I assume they cross paths. Ben, ben talks about the Ani DeFranco concert where she had never met Bob Dylan after 45 tour dates or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into 1974 proper. I've got such a weird bag of uh, trivia tidbits from 1974. Um Patty Hearst is kidnapped, Jeff Simons. Yeah, by the Sudanese Liberation Organization, right? Uh, the, the Army. Army? They Are they Army. the SLA or the SLO? I couldn't yeah, remember. Yeah, SLA. No. Where was she kidnapped? Oh, I don't remember. Um, just is, isn't they? Isn't it just uh, walking down the street in San yeah. Francisco? Yeah, in Berkeley, California, ah, your see? town. That makes sense. Uh, was hosting the the sim. Symbionese Liberation Army. Do you know where the word Symbionese comes from? No idea whatsoever. Um, they wanted to create a world that was more symbiotic. Oh, for God's sake. And that's how they invented the word. And and kidnapping, uh, I guess, was a means to that symbiosis. I, uh, so my son, <laughs> at eighth, my son in eighth grade had to pick um, a change maker to do a big long project on like it okay. was like a month-long final eighth grade like you had to pick somebody uh sure an actual person and uh-huh. interview them and uh he picked my friend who had who was nancy pelosi's press secretary and who had marched oh. in ferguson really good choice and this one girl we went to the presentation this one girl just picked patty hearst because she <laughs> really really wanted to talk about cults and the CBD's Liberation Army. It was the most hilarious, inappropriate. <laughs> really wedging maker. in the topic. Yeah. Oh, she was like, my change maker is Patty Hearst. And I was like, this <laughs> is going to only get better from here. And it did oh, not yeah. disappoint. It was so great. That Dude, is- first of all, Patty Hearst really did make a lot of changes. She was yeah. a very, very, very influential person, um, but not, probably not what the teacher had in mind. So that's amazing. <laughs> I really like that kid's style. Oh, it's great. She had that picture of her, like, on, you know, that classic photo from the, from the bank, bank robbery with yeah. her in the AK-47. <laughs> like, everybody else is like, you know, th- this their change maker with their family or doing something important. Hers is just like robbing a bank. Oh, it's so good. So That's great. awesome. What, yeah, uh, it's a short story. When uh, It's either 10th grade or 11th grade. I'm in my creative writing class in high school. And uh-huh. the assignment is to do a parody of an existing work. And so I chose the book Wired that was about John Belushi, yeah, but I rewrote yeah. it with the honeybee being addicted to honey and that all the <laughs> other characters wanted to try and get the honeybee off honey until the honeybee died ODing oh on God. honey. So funny. And 
uh, you got to present the thing. So I came up and started telling the story and like 30 seconds in, the teacher's like, wait, what? What? Oh, <laughs> this is a joke about heroin ODing in 10th grade. Not what is she was wrong? looking for. It's not, yeah. oh, my oh that's a publishable short story, a publishable children's parody right there. Man. That, that poor B. All right, um, 1974, let's hit the uh, Grammy winner for Album of the Year. Jeff Simons, you get to pick the song. It's the Grammy winner. Fulfilling This First Finale by Stevie Wonder. song changed my life i was at nick's barbecue in the hate uh i was 23 years old and i was teaching and i was miserable and and uh <laughs> overworked and under uh i was gonna say under pleasured but that doesn't sound right <laughs> yeah but i i went out and i was and this guy a friend dragged me out you got to go out you're working too hard i went to nick's barbecue and and that i was i didn't know anybody and i was all uncomfortable and that song hit the speakers and everybody just piled out on the dance floor and uh -huh. i just that was it i just started dancing and i i never stopped no that and but that yeah i went home with a, i've rediscovered my happy place and a smile uh thanks to that song love that one that's great great song. And you were talking about how that last week how the uh, the beat is a lot slower than you think yeah yeah but that Steve one that one too yeah you have to actually be you have to not be an idiot to dance to that song. Um, so I was concentrating. So I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was dancing. My happy place, I think well, on the podcast, I'll, I'll go ahead and put that clip out there. People can judge <laughs> how I did in 1970. Sorry, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, sorry, so sorry. I made my feelings about the electronic keyboard pretty plain. Uh -huh. He's such a master and this work <laughs> is so innovative. Like uh, it's actually, it's funny. This, this record and the previous record are not, so much a discussion with James Brown or the meters they're a discussion with Herbie Hancock like yeah. this whole like electronic jazz keyboard thing that they're going back and forth on with headhunters and this record yeah um and actually when the first the very very beginning of that with a weird slide keyboard and all that other stuff I was like what the hell like I didn't recognize <laughs> it immediately as soon as the piano came in I got it but um he is so forward looking and on top of it here like he's just creating all of this new new stuff with the uh with the electric keyboard it's awesome yep i mean it's like awesome. craft work like it's like like that level of electronic sophistication ahead of everybody else it's the second grammy in a row for stevie wonder well deservedly uh, so interesting yeah. how awful the songs are and how uh excellent the album picks are by the way we have a whole thing happening here where mm. We've been ripping the Grammys just uh, justifiably merci mercilessly for their songs, but some of these albums are the right choices. So I'm curious how that could be. You yeah, know? two two different groups of voters. <laughs> or or the you know this is proof of the spectacular payola to win Song of the Year or something something uh, fishy. Interesting. All right. Well, in 1974, People Magazine debuts. The oh. first issue of People Magazine, 
Which brings us to our first contest of the podcast, the Sexiest Man Alive contest. It is not going to be between the three of us. It'll be just between the two of you. I here have a list of People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive um, year by year. It starts in 1985, so that's your big hint. We're going to go back and forth as you name winners of the Sexiest Man Alive. First person that falters is the loser. Uh, who would like to go first? I'll go first. Tom Cruise. Yes. Um, George Clooney. Yes. Denzel Washington. Yes. Um, the kid who played Urkel. <laughs> oh, I win. I can't believe I won. That's amazing. <laughs> you had so many. Jaleel White. Jaleel White. <laughs> he, uh, no, I'm afraid not. Golly. Came in, you... sec came in second eight years in a row. That's too <laughs> you, bad. You bowed out early of the sexist man a lot. Um, those, Is Tom the, Hanks on there? Those suspenders are pretty great. Tom Hanks did not. How about Harrison ever... Ford? Harrison Ford is on here. Yes. Okay. Richard Gere. All Brad, right. Brad Pitt. Keanu oh, Brad Reeves, Pitt. Uh, Nick Nolte won it one year. Is that uh, right? Not Travis lately. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I really was hoping you were going to be like, in 2019, there he was. Um, <laughs> Nick Nolte. <laughs> That's unbelievable. What year is it? What year is it for Nick Nolte? That's Nick amazing. It must Nolte's, have been around 48 hours. Is 92. Is that the year of beaches? Yeah, that's Prince of Tides. Prince of Tides. That's what it is. That's, yeah, Prince, that's drunk Nick Nolte like, I got your fiddle. <laughs> that, he wasn't sexiest man alive for that? Yeah, a lot of women went to see that movie, Jeff Simon. Oh, uh, man. Two years previous, or three years previously, Harry Hamlin. Nobody had Harry Hamlin. Uh, no, I definitely didn't. It would have taken me a minute to get there, although I, I love me some L.A. Law. I am <laughs> that, that, with, that's with a terrible H. pick. That he inspired was also your career. Titans, though, which is that's probably right. why he won it. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it was L.A. Law. All uh, right. Um, the final episode of The Brady Bunch airs in 1974. Jeff Simons, did you know The Brady Bunch was only on for five seasons? I did know that. And you didn't know way that. out punched its uh, actual and as a uh, cultural landmark, it really out punched its actual time on the air for sure. H highest uh, rating in its five year uh, career, highest rating on the Nielsen system. I don't know. I wouldn't, I may, now that you're asking, maybe not even top 10. I mean, did not register in its first two seasons, in its third season. Nielsen expanded beyond the top 30 um, and the Brady Bunch hit 31 in its third season. Well, that was, you know, the first two seasons were really experimental. Yeah. And then they kind of got, then they out. got the formula down and then it became a big hit. And then they lose it once <laughs> Oliver joins. Cause in this last season, it was highest was 54 Oliver. That was a risky move by them. Did they? Oh, they added a kid. They did the. Um, oh yeah. The family oh. ties thing. And is that the, the, the fifth season? Has also got the trip to Hawaii, right? Oh, nice. Yes, Must it's got be. him. Yeah, because that was so bad, <laughs> so bad. Vincent Price guest star. 
Wow. All right. That's, that's a kitchen sink attempt to stay on the air, man. All right. That's we, amazing, <laughs> though, because, I mean, it must have made just a jillion dollars in syndication. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I think it also speaks to how many of us um, grew up with the TV after school. And, and we know that series inside and out just because every day after school, we do our homework in front of the Brady Bunch. You know, I actually don't know that show very well. You know what I love about that show uh, is all the interstitial music. You know, yeah. all the Sh- all the Sherwood Schwartz shows, Gilligan's <laughs> Island, and uh, and there's different themes. Like yeah. I like the jazzy coming back from commercial. Dun 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 up. Yeah. Dun 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 up. Dun. Bobby, where's my homework? I love I love how there's all these different so like, great. markers for where you are in the show that are all riffs on the same theme. So great. Um. All right, go ahead and find one on your computer as I bring up the next episode. Um, ben Barton, the Cleveland Indians, and I think I mentioned this the first season, but I, I've done a deep dive now. The Cleveland Indians held 10-cent beer night oh. in a game against the Texas Rangers. Now, I'm just picturing the young intern who comes up with the idea. What if... <laughs> To get more people to come, go with me. We're just going to sell beer for 10 cents, but we'll limit the number they can buy. You know what? The the number you could buy, Ben? Tell me it was six. It was six. Help me out with six. (laughs) I love Cleveland. Cleveland rocks. That's a great look for Cleveland. Also, tell me six. Tell me it's a day game. Tell me it's a day game. I don't think it was. I think it was a night game. That would make, because it would make more sense. He's like, oh, don't worry, we'll make it a day game. Nobody will get too drunk. And then it's like, they get sick. Like, dude, I'm carrying six beers back to my chair and then yeah. I'm coming back with a fake mustache. Let's do this thing. No, no, no. You were not limited to, you were only limited to six per purchase, but you could go back and purchase oh, as many yet. times as you want. What could go wrong? Oh my God. God. It was a fiasco. Uh, A riot breaks out. Uh, Women are exposing themselves. At at one point, a fan runs onto the field and tries to steal the outfielder's hat. As the outfielder's defending himself, he falls. Billy Martin thinks he's been attacked. So Billy Martin, the manager of the Rangers, leads a charge of Texas Rangers players out to the outfield, some of them carrying bats. Oh my God. (laughs) And then a group of fans jumped down to meet them armed with knives and pieces of the seats that they've torn apart. (laughs) And they're going to face down the Texas Rangers. And I just, I'm picturing that young. This is the greatest bit you've ever had. I'm selling it super hard. I love this. I can't say enough of it. Well, that must be where the new nickname Guardians came from. They were there to defend (laughs) the stadium. Those guys, those drunk guys with pieces of torn off stadium should be the new guardians logo for the for the cleveland I, baseball team i love like I mean, the people one who eye are... half closed like, <laughs> <come at> they've <laughs> 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 got the plastic cups on right the right yeah. exactly oh man so people yeah people were upset that the indians changing their name is a dumb idea 
It is. It's well, a really fun game. It ain't game. the dumbest idea they've ever It's a really fun game with your kids to try and explain the 70s. And that's a really good, like, little that's piece perfect. of trivia for the 70s, for sure. Yeah. Wow. I'm so sympathetic. Can you, like, imagine if you were our age at that time? Oh. And you read that story. I mean, you must have just been, like, you just turned the sports page and you're like, well, this is not going to end well. <laughs> we, we're in the end days and then some. I'm going to have to reread Revelation. I can't remember whether 10 Cent Beer Night at the Cleveland Indians is in Revelation. But it should be if it's it not. It should be. It's one of the signs. Oh, God. Really it's so good. Bad. That oh. intern was like, I just picture his face as it all unfolds. Like, uh-oh. I have fired. Oh, my God. Well, Timmy, you've inspired me. We need that 10-cent beer night on the pod. Oh, I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, what year is that? Let's do it. We Six do beers at a time. That's going to yep. work out for us for sure. It'll Wait. be a really, it'll be like, for me, it'll be like seven minutes of incoherent mumbling, and then you'll just hear me snoring through the rest of the podcast. No, 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 dude. You got it wrong. You're going to hear me tearing up the furniture in my office and attacking my computer with it, trying to kill Tim. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So you got the Brady Bunch music ready for us. Picture Billy Martin running out with uh, the Rangers behind him and this music playing. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Here's the story. All right. Enough. Enough. Here's the story of 10 Cent Beer Night from the Cleveland Indians. That's uh, that's season one. I found all five seasons in one clip because it's very, there are variations on a theme. YouTube is really our Alexandria library. I mean, yes. it's the Alexandria Library of dumb shit. I love YouTube. <laughs> oh, me too. So, and the fact that someone so did it, right? Is much. it edited oh. thing? Someone put it all together? Yes. Whoever you are, you're a genius and you deserve this. This is your moment and you deserve it. Yeah, all right. I kick the internet around a lot, but that particular thing where you're like, you know what's weird is I'm sort of obsessed with the interstitial music in the Brady Bunch. I wonder <laughs> if there's another person. Oh, not only is there, that's a person who likes it more than you do, who was like, oh yeah, I bought I bought the uh, five disc DVD thing. And then I just went ahead and did it as a YouTube thing. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. Yep. That's so great. Fantastic. Uh, invitation to Cynicism, not 10 Cent Beer Night. Invitation to Cynicism in 1974, the Rubik's Cube. Oh, emerges dungeons and dragons emerges and billy joel's the entertainer emerges uh which is the nerdiest of those three well the line uh, i've played all kinds of palaces and laid all kind of girls which might be the <laughs> worst couplet in a career full of bad couplets from the entertainer um <laughs> But I think D&D wins the nerdiest because you oh, actually really have to be smart and put the time in. Like, if you're me in the Rubik's Cube, you solve one side, and you're like, I pretty much think that's the same as solving six sides. And then you just move on. And you, and you watch Michael Kleinberg do it in seventh grade math in 48 seconds, and you're like, I'm sure that's not as cool as it looks. You know, like, you just, you can set the Rubik's Cube aside. Right, but D&D, right. you can't, like show up at D&D night and be like, uh, he opens the door? Like, you're dead, right? And you really need to know what you're doing. So that's... I think yeah, no, that's and everybody boring. had a Rubik's Cube. Not everybody yeah, played that's, Dungeons & Dragons. That's Although, true. Did, did everybody end this podcast? Because I was big time. Nope. I played in college. What, d and Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, baby. No. I've, I've never played. I've been near... I'm definitely D&D adjacent. I've been in the room while other people played, and I have a lot of close friends who played, but I've never actually sat down and done it. My son plays, uh, loves it, has 
what is it, a 12-sided die or something like that? 20. Sure. 20. 20. Okay. I'm super jealous. The girls obviously, or not obviously, some girls do play, but the, the girls have not adopted that. Um, okay. But I would be more than happy to sort of be like, ooh, hello. Like, I'm an elf. <laughs> Let me elf with you. That is Maybe great. after six beers, it'd be even more fun. <laughs> no, for sure. I open the wizard's purse. <laughs> All right, let's get to the number one selling album. I would appreciate Jeff Simons if it's the first track that you're gonna play. Uh, I wasn't gonna be the first track. That takes, that's got like a five minute intro. All right, all right. I can't do it. I'm gonna play this one. I like this one. So okay. let's see if Ben can name it from this one. It's the number one album. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. Is it Goodbye Yellow Brick Road? Is that what the record is? Yeah, of course. Of course it's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Double album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Twice the fun. I really don't appreciate that. Um, I I don't (laughs) like that song or that record. He also, he's got another record out this year called, I don't know, is it El Guapo or Cuarto or something like that? Um, It is not called El Guapo, but I wish it were (laughs) called El Guapo. And then he releases... Caribou, I believe. Caribou, that's it. He releases his greatest hits in 1974, and that becomes the all-time greatest selling album for a while of that particular year. So this is, is that the, true, really? Yeah. Dude, the guy was the guy owned it in the 70s. Oh no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I completely understand. I'm sure, like, hope I mean, presumably when whenever the year the Eagles greatest hits came out, that's gonna be the best selling album for that year, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm wondering this is if this I'm wondering if this is the first really gigantic greatest hits record. I think it is actually. You're right. I think it is. Even more than a Beatles best of, even more than a well, than the Hot Beatles, Rock. Well, the, yeah. and also when did Hot Rocks come out? I feel like Hot Rocks 70, came out later. It came out in 72. Oh, is that right? Yeah. But it's a double, and this was it's a rock album. It's a pop album. It's just like, I mean, greatest hit, Elton John's greatest hit sold like one per family. Yeah. I mean, well, it was just unbelievable. About, the thing about Hot Rocks or whatever they, I mean, it's super hard to do with the Beatles is everybody had those records. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, right. people were like, oh, well, I, like, I'm confused. Like basically Hot Rocks became, I assume, became a much bigger seller late 70s and 80s when people were like, oh, I don't have any of these records. I'll just buy yeah. them. But um, that's super interesting. Uh, is it changing the, the great, The era of the greatest hits thing starts yeah. here and it really 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 comes to dominate in, in yeah, some ways right. in a pretty unfortunate manner totally agree totally. greatest hits records yeah. are a bummer but uh uh in very rare cases i'm like the greatest hits is what i is just a, is what i want but uh, excuse me i have to make a change <laughs> yeah yeah great <laughs> oh dude I, there's a, I mean i'm not gonna like i'm actually this will probably be my worst pick this year but 
there, I really squinted hard at Steve Miller's greatest hits for whatever oh. year that came out, 76 or 77, because that wow. was the record that I listened to. I mean, in the, in high school, that was brutal. Like we just played that until our ears bled. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. The impossible question this in 1974, it seems to me we have more real memories uh, than the previous years. And so there are three events I want to th throw at you. And I want you to try to separate um, understandings that come post 74 or footage that, that you've, you've got in your brain as an adult and try to go back to being four, I guess in your case, five years old to these three events. Which one do you remember, uh, if any of them? We got the rumble in the jungle, Ali versus Foreman. Evil Knievel fails to jump over the Snake River in Idaho. And Philippe Petit uh, walks uh, on the high wire between the, the, uh, the Twin Towners. Yeah. Do you guys remember any of those events? I remember Evil Knievel for sure. I remember kids talking about it at school. And I definitely remember seeing pictures or maybe like grainy footage of him on like one of those like that's incredible kind of shows um but i i don't think and i knew who muhammad ali was but i don't think i was aware of the ali foreman and zaire like i didn't have the and i had no idea about the tightrope guy until years later uh what, what do you got ben any memories so i was, i actually looked it up right now the first uh -huh. really really vivid like historical thing that i remember is the summer garbage strike 1975 in new oh. york city oh, with the piles of fetid waste <laughs> and the 90 degree Dear heat lord i guess i was six then and that's burned on my brain like i'm okay. like oh and when i try to explain again when you're explaining the 70s when i explain it to my daughters i'm like yeah. oh yeah they just didn't pick up the garbage for weeks on end and it just like nobody cared like it was just piled up everywhere and people were like well that's life now. Yeah. Like, that's what it's like. Wow. Yeah. That is brutal. I remember, I mean, I didn't know what was going on, but I remember uh, the Munich Olympics because I remember vividly. Wait, walking, that was 72. Like, right. But I remember my parents being glued to the TV and I wasn't allowed to look. And you know how you remember the thing you're not supposed to remember? They're like, go away, go away. This is, you know, you're just wow. boring. But I remember uh, creeping around and seeing the picture of that guy with the rifle on the TV and not, not knowing and not being told what it was until years later. But once I figured out, once I knew what it was, I was like, ah, that wow. was the thing that I wasn't allowed to look at. So that's my very first vivid. Like, what a psycho memory. You have memories from three. Well, I mean, I don't have memories from three. I feel I like psycho I... was unkind. That wasn't called for Timmy. What a psycho <laughs> Tim Plain. Of course, my first memory is like 12. Jesus uh... Christ. <laughs> I was reading a mad lie. magazine. I've cut a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're <laughs> great. You are great. Uh, I do remember Evil Knievel. Fan I, I want to say like ABC broadcast. Yeah, that's right. That that's possible? what I think too. Oh, yeah. Totally. Which talk about starve for programming. Golly. Oh, I know, right? That's the other <laughs> thing you try to explain in the 70s. Like you watch like an episode of Happy Days and you're like, well, this was this was for people with brain damage that they played in, in <laughs> sanitariums. Like that was the number one show in America. Everybody, <laughs> half of America sat down with a TV dinner and watched that and thought it was hilarious. And they're like, there must've been lead in the yeah. water. Oh, I mean, but dude, that's not even the best. The one, the one that I showed them was the battle of the network stars. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, no, 
for real. Yeah, this is this, it. And they were like, how? And I'm like, I can't explain how. I can just tell you, this was not every week. And and your my parents were like, let's do this thing. Yeah, like, just this sit is your butt down. It's Battle of the Network Star <laughs> Star. And when Gabe Kaplan, yeah. won a tug of war, whatever, my dad was no, like, race, I love yeah. that guy. Gabe Kaplan, yeah. which soap star. opera star is better at the broad jump? Yeah, that was, uh, that, was, that was unbelievable. Well, we've got it. Before we get to our three albums, uh, Jeff Simons, you're going to play a song that comes out in 1974, and Ben Barton is going to tell us why it is so important to this podcast. Raise your hand if you need help with the artist. Actually, look at it. He's got it. He's got it. I did. Uh, I did. Yeah, this is the Bonnaroo record by Dr. John, right? That's Yay! right. Yeah, totally. Which the Bonnaroo Music Festival takes its name from this particular song, which has given us more anecdotes than any other thing. Woo! Woo! Very nice. Not his All best right. record, though. I mean, it's a Bonnaroo is a great concept, but not a great record. Like borderline yeah, no, disco, Dr. John. Not my, not yeah. my favorite. Our three albums. Our three albums. Who gets to go for it? Is, is anyone like excited and confident about their pick this week? I'm always excited and confident about my picks, but then again, I'm a psycho. So, you know, <laughs> oh God, you should I'm sorry. That. I'm sorry. When I am I not confident psycho, or excited, I... but I'll just go ahead and make my pick. All right. Uh, so I uh, complained about this before, but this era of music, there's like just a, there's like, I don't know, four or five different bands that I really, really like from this era of music. And then after that, it's a real dry well for me. Um, and so Stevie Wonder, James Brown, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, uh, the first couple of Springsteen records come out, but I can't choose those. I'm choosing the Springsteen record. Uh, Bob Dylan's does great stuff. And like basically in the next couple of years. Um, but as we mentioned, there's several different ways to do this. So one way you might choose album of the year is to think about an album that was particularly influential, even if it's not a terrific album, but an album that presages or explains something about that year. And then another way to do it is to choose a record that was your favorite album from this year sometime in your life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm going to do this year. So I am sad to report, oh, very, very sad to report that when I was 16 years old and first learning to play the guitar, when okay. you're first learning to play the electric guitar, you have to search around for songs that are easy to play by bad guitarists. And so obviously you start with Smoke on the Water um, and then you move to Louie Louie or, or the 85 other songs that are also Louie Louie. Um, but then over time, you're moving up a little bit. You want to get a little bit better. Uh, but you don't want to get too far ahead of your skis. That's first. And then second, because I'm 16, I'm in this like really stunted emotional headspace. And I'm looking for music that speaks to me. And I had the great misfortune or fortune, depending on how you look at it, to find Bad Company, Bad Company 
from 1974. Jeff is going to unload and I'm happy. I'm happy to have that conversation. So Bad Company is the first, depending how you count it, super group. But the irony is they're not a super group. They're a group of sad B-listers from crappy bands that were not top tier at all who come together into this band and, and dub themselves a super group. So like uh, the, the, the Traveling Wilburys, that's a super group. Like these are people who were currently popular or had been massively popular in the past coming together. This is half of the band Free. So that's Paul Rogers, the singer and Simon Kirk, the drummer. And Free has one good song, one good song all right now. And they basically are just dining out on that. And by the time you get to 1974, the, the, the buffet is drying up. Like they're, they're closing the doors on free. So you get half of free. Then you get Mick Ralph is the guitarist for Mott the Hoople. And then you get Boz Burrell, who's the bassist for King Crimson. And I don't like Mott the Hoople or King Crimson. So uh, wow. this is not really a super group. It's a B-list group. <laughs> And then it's they so come together. It's the, it's the manager of Led Zeppelin who brings them together and they get signed to Swan Song Records. They're one of the first bands signed to Swan Song Records. And it's a really interesting moment in uh, classic rock or as India Kincannon would happily call this band, butt rock. And, <laughs> I'm sorry, butt rock? Oh yeah, butt rock. And this is like, this is a, a flagship <laughs> butt rock act for <laughs> okay. sure. All you need to do is hear rock steady and then you'll be like, oh yeah, that's butt rock. Thank you for for pointing that out to me. That is the correct name for that kind of rock. So in 1974, you're in between Zeppelin records, but the Zeppelin records are getting weirder and more challenging. Um, You've got Zeppelin 3, Zeppelin 4 is like a a, a bigger hit, but then Houses of the Holy is kind of weird and challenging. The Stones are are in a weird, challenging phase, like 73 is uh, Goat's Head Soup, where the biggest hit is Angie, which is beautiful. I love it. But I mean, from the butt rock enthusiast point of view, they're like, Angie, really? Um, you're in this sort of tail end where the great bands are doing all the, and the, the who's similar, like they're doing Quadrophenia and these weird, like much bigger explorations of things. So there's a vacuum for cynical, straight ahead arena rock. And they sign Bad Company and that's just exactly what they get. On the one hand, so it's so derivative, it's like it goes around the bend to actually be weirdly influential like it's like you can tell they sit down in the studio and they're just like listen i'm done with being in mott the hoople like let's get this freaking show on the road and it's a eight song 30 minute record where each song is literally they're just like yeah this is like another song like like paul rogers is just discount um rod stewart and mick ralph is just discount everything the, the guitarist sucks like he sucks <laughs> when you hear the solos on this record they're embarrassingly bad they're worse than chuck berry and this is part of the reason i loved it when i was 16 i was like yeah. oh i can oh. do this like like when i hear song remains the same i'm like well that's it's going to be a minute before i figure out how to play that song when i hear can't get enough of your love i'm like oh it's going to be two seconds before I can play <laughs> Can't Get Enough of Your Love all the way through with the stupid guitar solos. Because the guitar solos, I mean, it's just like power chords and, and really slow pentatonic scale. That's the entire like bad company sound. Um, and here's the thing that's really weird about it. it. So first it presages disco and punk. If you're looking at a dying cork 
like a corpse where it's all over. It's just getting big, swollen, and useless. Bad company oh is the very God. beginning of that. Um, second, <laughs> is this like branch, like the, like the, the songs on this record are really, really, really weirdly influential. Uh, you don't get Foreigner without Bad Company. No okay. question. You don't That's get, uh, you don't get any, like it's the first, I, I'm going to choose the song Bad Company, Bad Company by Bad Company Ooh. on the album Bad Company, which yes. is the greatest. Such an amazing it. joke. It makes me really happy. It's like, seriously, like this is how lazy they are. They're like, they're like, what, what, what are we going to call it? How about Bad Company? And then the, then the guy's like, it's a right and bloody song. It's a song too. And then they're like, why not call the album? Like, it, like just, like just, like it's cross marketing. You know what I mean? Synergy. Uh, it's the greatest when when you, when you look at your iPod and you can see Bad Company, Bad Company, Bad Company. Can it really is artist titles. So like, talk, talk, you... talk, 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 talk. All right. Anyone else? You oh, Wilco, Wilco, Wilco. Yeah. All right. Um, living in a box by Living in a Box from the album Living in a Box. Oh wow! I don't know that one. What's the stupid? Um, like oh, big country from the big album. Country. Big country. Well, it's in oh, a big yeah. country though. It's in yeah, a big right. country. They did. Change it's it a, a prepositional phrase. <laughs> yeah, they bit, really changed. It's a little bit more dumb. That's an outstanding <laughs> one, and that song is actually good um, in comparison to some of these songs. So uh, it is like it's hard for uh, this is not a record that I listen to currently. This is a record that I li like. As soon as I put it back on, I was like, oh good lord! Like I remember <laughs> every single note from it. I will occasionally play the song "Bad Company" at poker as a joke, and everyone uh -huh. gets it. Everyone's like, ah. It was amazing. What a great joke. Sometimes I'll do the Bad Company Urgent by Foreigner back to back just to oh, really wow. get the giggles going. You should just take yourself right back to roller skating. That was oh, the music yeah, no. that we all, that yeah. was the Skate World sure. soundtrack. Oh. So um, the, the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, the last song on the record is the beautiful ballad Seagull, Seagull. Oh, God. <laughs> which has lyrics that are so bad, like if a second grader gave this in a poetry contest, they would be uh -huh. like, wow, what happened? This is awful. <laughs> so Seagull tells the story, not strangely enough, of a seagull. So <laughs> the lyrics, Seagull, you fly across the horizon into the misty morning sun. Nobody asks where you're going. Nobody knows where you're from. And I'm like, oh, these are true statements about a seagull. <laughs> things that are true. I no disagree. One... We're pretty sure where the seagulls are from. They're from the shoreline of the sea. That's why so, they're called seagulls. So then we move on, though. Here's the repeated chorus. Seagull, oh, no. you must have known for a long time the shape of things to come. Now you fly through the sky, never wow. asking why. In case you were wondering if fly, sky, and why rhyme, they do. They do. <laughs> and if you put them all together, you get some alliteration there. So hold on. So they're flying through the sky, never asking why. And I'm like, well, okay, good, good like that. And you fly around till someone shoots you down. That's what? the end oh. for the seagull. And I was like, even as a 16 year old, I was like, is that a thing? Do people shoot seagulls? seagulls? Why? Why would you shoot a seagull? Like, like it's not a duck. Like, no. what are you doing <laughs> killing a seagull? It's not a duck. Duck was on Bad Company too. Anyhow, you know what else rhymes with duck? Oh, it, the emotional palette of this record is just perfect. It's like wow. when when Led Zeppelin is too complicated for you, when the Rolling Stones are expressing emotions that you're uncomfortable with, when you, you could no, for no chance you'd listen to any Bob Dylan records, you're like, you know what I need? I need a little bad company because it's just songs about wandering, having a six gun and wanting to have sex. And that, as a 16 year old boy, you're like, well, that that's the waterfront right there. They pretty right much there. cover it. 
Jeff, bad com- Oh, and also for, for fans of later cowboy songs, including Blaze of Glory, Every Rose Has Its Thorn, and uh, Wanted Dead or Alive. Wanted Dead or Wanted Alive. Dead or alive. This yeah. is where it all starts. Bad Company, Bad Company. Bad Company by Bad Company. <laughs> the atmospherics, can you feel it? is just gold. Destiny is a rising sun, by the way. Wow. Six gun in my hand Behind a gun I make my final stand If only There are lots more stands That's to That's why they call me Just power chords, baby. That's all <laughs> you need. Could I you have, give, could I you give so us 10 seconds? Ten, wait, give us 10 seconds of the seagull before you do. I, oh, I believe okay. that it was an homage to Chekhov and his family. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Such ham-fisted acoustic guitar playing, too. Okay, that's plenty. Funny. I got that. And also, they're like you can like it's so paint by numbers. It's it's laugh out loud funny. Where they're in the studio and they're like, we need we need a, a deeper one, like a, okay. a, a ballad. And he's like, oh, I've got I've got the seagull. I've got it. Yeah. Right. Why don't you just like finger pick a G chord for a while, and I'm gonna mumble about a seagull, and that'll be deep. <laughs> so I I I have so much. To, I just want to say some more jokes, if that's okay. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, Go ahead. Um, this is definitely where Spinal Tap comes from too. Like if there's, I mean, Spinal Tap skewed heavy metal cause it came out in 82, but like a lot of the seventies jokes are this band. Okay. Um, the, this is, band's got everything in addition to being the bad company, bad company, bad company. They've got the logo. They've got oh, the, totally. the steel yeah. logo. It looks like the kind of thing that would be on the grill of a Camaro running over progressive rock fans, right? Like <laughs> there'd be like a bunch of yes, Dungeons and Dragon nerd fans. And here comes the bad company Mustang to just just take them right out and blow through them. Um, I love how competent they are. They're like mind-numbingly competent, this band. Like they're huge without being good, which is almost like hard to do. It's hard to be just this bad, but good enough to hit. I also think of like Paul Rogers, like my friend Kyle, who is, was a guest on the pod, his take on this guy's voice is so funny. He thinks this, this guy's like, his voice is so good. It actually is creepy. Like he sounds like he's trying to trick you into go, getting into the trunk of your car. Like he's like, no, nobody sounds like a pedophile by accident. Like Paul Rogers, it's like a perfect description of this guy's voice. And I have an image of these guys in two competing versions of bad company playing like Applebee's and truck stops and County fairs for the rest of their lives. You know, like there's one called Bad Company, and then there's one called like the Shooting Stars, featuring Paul Rogers because he couldn't get the <laughs> he couldn't get the rights to the name. Like 
Oh my god! I hate oh, dude, this that band. actually happened. There's Did a, it like, with this band? Dude, just go to the the Wikipedia page. Is oh, at awesome. least as funny. There's the <laughs> you know how they do eras. There's yeah. the post Paul Rogers era where they get another dude. They oh, keep fantastic. putting out records. Oh, which that's is like, unbelievable. The, the now, best part is, hold on. So they, they yeah. put out a Mick Ralph solo record. Oh my it's god! It's just the guitar. So you can imagine what that sounded like. But that must have like so. And then he was like, "Oh, I want to put out a second one." And they were like, "No." hard no if you ever put out another note of music it has to be under the name bad company and he was like well paul rogers left he's in the firm and they were like we don't care like we have that name get someone and just trot wow. it out we could confuse people into wow. buying a new bad company record and and mick ralph was like oh yeah that sure we can done do that. and done <laughs> that's fantastic also i think you're right that this is the record that like creates punk rock like, I think Bad Company is the turning point. Like, you start to get The Clash and The Sex Pistols and The Ramones. Because I can't prove it, but I think the Bad Company record is when everybody goes like, no, 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 no. Oh, we're, yeah. spe we're speeding this up and we're making yeah. it. We, we, we got to give this the middle finger or, or it's it's just quaaludes for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I think that that's super fair. And it, I mean, it really is. It's so... Uh... It's so creepily commercial. It's so oh. cynical. It's, it's such corporate. A it's the really. It's it's not just the first. It's not the first supergroup. Like Blind Faith is probably the first supergroup. Oh yeah, it's and that's first, an actual one. It's the first corporate supergroup. It's the first really cynical version yeah. of let's put this together. Like it's the hostess Twinkie of rock and roll, or it's like New Coke. Like it's really, you you hit it right on the head. Like it's just so cynical as a as a piece of art that's really well said hilarious uh, choice man hilarious great choice. choice yeah i mean great in in why wow, you gave us a lot to talk about uh <laughs> jeff simons what are you bringing to well the... in the great in the great history of this podcast i am gonna cheat a little bit because i have records i like in 1974 but i, I will agree like with ben like this 74 is a weird year for me like there are records i like but there, no. there are records i love and i i i kind of like there's a couple bands i just am not going to get to talk about that i wanted to and this was uh -huh. going to be one of them and i'm not going to let it happen so this was recorded in 74 and it's nice. about an event in 1974 but it's released in february 1975 so i totally, apologize totally fair but I'm bringing in, I'm, I'm using a cheat code because I want to talk about this artist, but I need to start by talking about the phrase world music. Now, oh. the problem with the phrase world music is it sounds like a great idea. Yes, let's listen to the music of the world. Like, shouldn't we not just focus on our stupid little rock and roll and soul and like our little weird thing that we invented? And uh, shouldn't we? And the problem with that is the people who curate world music have terrible taste in world music. I don't know how many of you were punished by the Putamayo CD gift from well-meaning friends <laughs> when you had small children, right? Like, oh, you have an infant? Here's a CD I bought in Starbucks that has like a, a picture of children on the front and it says world music. This will be great. They can go to sleep to Angeline Kijo and all these other people. And like, most of those collections make me want to kill myself. And a okay. lot of world music isn't fun to listen to because it's poorly recorded or it's a terrible attempt to take something that's intrinsic to a nation and make it palatable somewhere else, right? So as a kid, 
whenever anybody, when I went to Tower Records and looked at the world music section, I was like, well, that is not for me. And I just walked right <laughs> just past keep it. keep going. <laughs> a lot of that kind of stuff, like, you know, the best of Peruvian flute music, like it's, it is bad. It's because it, it's poorly curated and it's not, but there is some world music that I dig. And there's particularly one artist who I really love. And it's because he himself is a world musician because he is taking from all these different places and traditions and mashing them together. And in so doing, creating a sound that is as uh, important on a world stage as Marley's version of reggae that blows out as any rock and roll artist. And I'm talking right. about Fela Kuti. Woo, do it! This is my boy. So <coughs> Fela, is born in 1938 in Nigeria, which at that point is still a British colony, into essentially a Nigerian royal family. His father is a professor. Both of his older brothers become doctors. He is a cousin once removed of a Nobel Prize winning novelist. He's, he's born into a life of purpose and privilege, especially in Nigeria. He is sent to London to the Trinity College to study medicine. So he is a classic colonized colonial student, right? moves to England, is taught in English in a Nigerian preparatory school. But he decides instead of becoming a doctor, he's going to become a trumpet player, which I oh. would really wish there was a recording of him coming home freshman year from Trinity College and sitting at his dad's feet like, how are the medical studies going, my son? Well, dad, the thing is, um, <laughs> so he starts playing in London nightclubs. He puts together a little quintet and they're playing you know james brown and, and funk stuff he then goes to los angeles in 1969 and spends 10 months kind of hobnobbing in la and meeting people and he falls in with some of the black panthers and it's this radical moment because nigeria has achieved its independence and he's introduced to black panther liberation philosophy and he comes back to nigeria and and hybridizes his Western English education with this new kind of world radicalized politics in this newly freed, uh, nascent quasi-democratic state in Nigeria. He starts a band called um, uh, Africa 70. He declares, he, he builds a house that is compound, recording studio, and nightclub in Lagos. And he declares it an independent free state from the corrupt Nigerian government. Oh, God. And starts okay. making records. He makes a record every four months for the next 25 years. And when I say a record, really? all, the, all the Fela records from the 70s and 80s are two songs. There's a song on side one, flip it over. There's a song on side two. They're all about 12 to 25 minutes long, depending on... How, how much Fela was feeling the groove before he starts singing. Um, many of them are spectacular. There's some duds. You know, they're not, it's not like, they're not all great. But um, in 1974, um, the Nigerian government raids uh, his house and burns it to the ground. His mother is almost killed. She's brought out on a, on a stretcher. But it turns Fela into this kind of rogue figure and, and cultural hero. And he uses it for the rest of his career. So now he's not only this kind of renegade singer, but he's the voice of the people. He decides very deliberately to sing his songs in a patois that is um, half Yoruba and half English so that uh, people who don't have his education can understand the lyrics. Um, and uh, I was first made aware of Fela when he was supposed to headline 
the Amnesty International concert in 1986 at Giant Stadium. It was going to be this big kind of coming out party in the West. And that's the show that had like the police reunion, Peter Gabriel. It was U2. Like it was a big deal. Yeah. And it was supposed to close with Fela. And he couldn't get in the country. We didn't give him a visa. Uh, like He couldn't get out of Nigeria. And he died uh, of AIDS three years later. Oh. But he left behind this like colossal body of work, much of it poorly recorded, much of it like hodgepodge. And, and finally, in the 90s, music, music archivists got involved and found all the master tapes and really lovingly remastered. And so now you can go on Spotify and find 200 Fela records. Wow. So part of what I'm trying to do here is uh, help you know where to get started. There's a best of called the best of the black president, which is a great place to start. But his best record is this one from 1975. It's called expensive shit. It is two uh, sides. Side one expensive shit is about the raid. Um, side two, however, is this is his best song. It's called water. No get enemy. And it is everything that is great about Fela and the Afrobeat music. It has the, the beat is on the one, like most African music. It's just one, one, one. It's not in four, four. It's not in two, four. You, you think of the beat as a circle that always comes back to the single beat. Boom, boom. Then you'll hear it. Like there's all this cool percussion going on in the background. But this is westernized funk instruments playing in an African circular rhythm with a horn section and all this call and response vocals. Uh, and Fela is just at the center of it, this like kind of crazy director, producer, organizer of the anarchy. Um, and, you know, Fela is a complicated figure. He had multiple wives. He was, a, he was an AIDS denier to his, uh, which, you know, ended up causing his death. Um, there's a lot about him that is hyper-masculine and has not aged well. But there's also just an incredible spirit to this music that is, uh, and I just, more than anything, what's the most important thing, like, I find his music positively fantastic to listen to. Like, okay. I'm not going to pretend in any way to be at the center of, you know, African liberation politics in the 1970s. But when these songs come on, I just find them hypnotically fun uh, to listen. I go back to the I shouldn't use say go back to the well in a song called Water No Good Enemy, but this is just ass kickingly great. And if you want and if you've heard the name Fela and you're like, yeah, but where the hell do I start? Start here with this song from 
Good stuff. Yeah, it's great. And uh, and there's lots of mistakes. Like they're all one take wonders. Like that's Fela on keys messing up, and then that's Fela forgetting that he's in a minor, not a major key at the beginning of that sax solo. Like I love how <laughs> warts and all it is. Like you know, they're obviously like you know, this is not a guy with inexhaustible resources. So some of them don't sound very good and some of them have hilarious clams in it, but just the whole spirit of it is just great. And uh, there's a tribute record called Red Hot and Riot that came out, I think it's like 20 years ago now, but it has a bunch of modern artists doing these songs. And uh, D'Angelo does this and his version is just equally slamming and great. So you could also get into him through other artists that are really influenced by him. But that's my... That's my seven. I figure after Sweet. two British folk rock re records, I better uh, I better shake it up a little bit. Yeah, I Indeed. love this call. I'm a big, huge, gigantic fan. Shuffering and Smiling would be the one oh. that I would choose. That's where I start. It's a little less jazziness, a little more funk. Yep. Um, but I can just go ahead and warn you. It's like, it is, Jeff's not exaggerating. It's like 22 minutes long. And it's got like, and then it's got him mumbling for a while. Yeah. And then there's some singing. It's a, But I mean, I played it for uh, Georgia because first we did it while we did yoga so we were able to pass the 20 minutes nicely um but second she's got a pretty harsh critique of organized religion in some of its forms and it's a brutal takedown oh, of yeah. organized religion in africa mm. um so and and terrific i love that and then red hot and riot and then i think last year they put out red hot and fela yeah yeah which is another another one and there's terrific and uh quest loves heavily involved in it there's terrific tracks on that as well yeah but the the, the um suffering and smiling version um on red hot and riot is to leave quayley and the dead president oh god they crush it and then i can't remember the name of the song but there's another there's a there's a version cut up by mixmaster mike on that record that's yep. just off the hook like just so good uh yeah love this pick timmy what do you say bro are you familiar I mean, at all no not at all never never heard of him um but it's really making me feel so much better in regards to the troubles I had in 1974 um, that one of you, one of you chose bad company and the other uh, chose a man I've never heard of uh, from 1975. So I think I was dead on with 74 being a weak year, but I'm going to check out Fela. What's his last name? Kuti, K-U-T-I, Fela Kuti. All right. I will. Uh, I've got a lot more cleaning projects going on in uh, reclaim. Oh, it's good for that. Reclaim the house week here yeah, as man. the kids are at camp. So I'm going to put that on in the background. Because you could say, I'll basement. just clean for three songs and then you'll have the whole class clean. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, for sure. I might even put a put a ceiling up in the basement. With there you go. That. That's great. Um, so 1974 is the year where I remembered that I didn't have a say really in what season two was going to be about. Ben just said, Hey, let's do albums. Just like, yeah, let's do albums. And I, I, I didn't even get a word in. And I, I've gone through every album released in 1974. I, I didn't own any of them. The only one that an older sibling owned was uh, Elton John's greatest hits and goodbye yellow brick road. I went through best 1974 albums, R&B, best 1974 albums, country, best, like, I looked, guys. I looked everywhere. And here's where I've ended up. Before you go further, are the numbers up, Timmy? Are the listening numbers still up? 
Yeah, yeah. So before you complain too hard about the format, I just want to point out the, ta- <laughs> the talent knows what the people want. <laughs> albums and more albums, baby. You're welcome, growing audience. <laughs> You're welcome, America. Maybe this is why uh, <laughs> people stop. I like you called the last calling eight. rank on the marketing department. That's tough, Jeff. That was a tough uh, get by you. I'm a psycho. What do you want? um yes yes the best album of 1974 so i've been listening Uh, well that was the other thing i was going to tell you uh we decided to record i'm like all right last night i'm like all right what did i pick let me go let me get ready um and 1974 was blank with a star which i guess when i did it oh Oh, i gotta find something well there are hold on big stars radio city which i already talked about is this year Obviously, for the Stevie Wonder record's great. Bob Marley's right, Natty, right. But I, Bob Marley's Natty Dread. You got Neil yep. Young on the beach. Joni Mitchell's Court and Spark. But it's a down year. But it's not a bereft year, right? I mean, there's some stuff in there. Jackson Brown, Late for the Sky. Right. Dan Fogelberg. Dan Fogelberg. How did I forget Dan Fogelberg? <laughs> anyways, uh, I went with Dolly Parton. Because you can't go wrong if you pick Dolly Parton given what she's uh, given to all of us. And this is really, as she turned, I can't remember the name of the guy she started her career with, but they do like eight albums together. What's that guy's name? I, I got no idea. Ben Barton? No, nope, can't help you. Dolly Parton and Guy. I'll type into Google and see what comes up. <laughs> I don't know who that is. All right. Well, we'll 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 cut this out so we don't appear so um, ignorant. But it's her first, the first seven years of her career are dominated by this uh, co-writer Porter like Wagner. Him. That's it, Porter Wagner. You know anything about him? I know his name is Porter. I know. Oh, there's a really creepy photo of the two of them on Wikipedia. Like that's what I, I know. I actually about think him. it was a good, healthy relationship, and he meant a lot to her professionally and personally. So it's not nice. like a sorry, uh, Porter. What a great yeah, guy. It's not like a Ryan Adams, Phoebe Bridgers type thing. Um, but this is her album where she's really kind of setting herself up for her own creative control and her own career. She writes all the songs on Jolene. And uh, we're going to start, Jeff Simons, with Jolene. Jolene by Dolly Parton. of auburn hair with ivory skin and eyes of emerald green Your smile is like a breath of spring Your voice is soft like summer rain and I cannot compete with you Jolene Now she's also got um, I Will Always Love You on this particular album and then what's the second to last song Jeff? Lonely Coming Down Yeah Good stuff right there. Yeah, and I actually play play a little bit of the second song. Lonely coming down 
When you love somebody with all your heart and soul And you want to keep them with you But you know they want to go What do you do? What do you say? When you know they want to leave as bad as you want them to stay And there's nothing quite as sad as a one-sided love When one doesn't care at all and the other cares too much It's a sad situation, I must say When someone wants to leave as bad as you want them to stay oh. When someone wants to leave as bad as you want them to stay uh, Dolly Parton, so... Timmy, how so come, I go ahead. Go ahead. You go. Well, how come I'm forgiving of kind of the country cheese that happens in a Dolly song, but I'm not forgiving when it's um, the seagull, for example. No, I'm thinking we specifically just, of country and, and how some artists, and I'm just like, oh come on, get over it. But if it's Dolly, I'm all in. Well, first, it's because Dolly's the original material. Yeah. She's the progenitor. She created a lot of this stuff. Okay. Like that second song's a little bit of a coal miner daughter type right, of right. deal, but but it's great. She's complete. She's squarely in that um, in that area, and she's really, really, really plowed the road. This is a great call. I was super mad at you for Islands in the Stream. I was like, there's like multiple <laughs> Dolly Parton songs you could choose that are not Islands in the Stream, uh, and here you did the right thing. This is great. I, I can't remember the name of the record that has Light of a Clear Blue Morning on it, but that record's pretty good too. All right, um, I'll check that this out. This whole stretch of the 70s, her work is terrific, terrific. This record's great. There's only one song that's longer than three minutes. I was going like, to say, I know. I know how, yeah. this is how Tim's going to pick record. Don't look up records released. Look up shortest records ever <laughs> made. 27 just minutes? Pick, pick, this is 24 minutes. This is actually, <laughs> this makes Nashville skyline look like blonde on blonde. Right, it, but Jeff. I can't I'm... believe you found a record shorter <laughs> than Nashville skyline that has the audacity to call itself an LP, a long yeah, I am completely with Tim on this. You say that like that's bad. It's perfect here. It's perfect here. I know. If it this had album it, I mean... is like the weather in East Tennessee. If you don't like it, wait two minutes. But yeah. really, you like, <laughs> if you're like, oh, this is a little bit corny. There's a little bit of banjo. And then they're like, oh, new song. Well, yeah, okay. Let's go. Like, we're on All to right. the next I one. Do, I do appreciate that. I have a Dolly Parton live recording from the bottom line in New York in like 77, like right at the oh. height of this. And uh, it's a one hour show in which she plays 27 songs. <laughs> it's unbelievable. She finished the song. She's like, Here's another one you might know. And everyone's like, another one? You can tell the New York audience is like, good God, woman. It's incredible how many songs she plays in an hour. You yeah, get in. Like, I mean, it's, it's like so good. Rock. It was really, really, really unusual for a female artist in this era to write all her own material. Right. Super extra brave of her. It's recorded from, like I'm looking at the page now, it's recorded from 72 to 73. It's, it's a long process. Yeah. And the, the, I'm sure the record company was like, well, why don't you just do Loretta Lynn songs? Uh, basically written by Hank Williams. And she's right, like, no, right. no, 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 no. I got like, it. I have my own it. material. I'm going to do it. I'm a songwriter first. And, yep. and I mean, given what a great guitar, like Jolene, did that guitar part, Jeff, come Dude. on. Oh man, yeah. it's just awesome. Smoke. And, it's just and I mean, the, like the, I Will Always Love You, I much prefer that version oh, to the yeah. Houston version. Right. Her singing is so beautiful, the range on her voice and the emotion that she brings to it. Yeah. Um, and then of course I live in Knoxville. I just have to bring it. She's from here locally. 
she's like Dollywood is a 40 minute drive from here. We went every year with the girls. Like she's an amazing, 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 super admirable artist, businesswoman, and just hard ass, just yeah. hard ass. You do not make it in that business, um, let alone in the uh, theme park development business without being an <laughs> amazing right. businesswoman. Right. And She's got to have a little touch of Michael Eisner to pull that off. Oh, I sure. will do, I do want to, I just want to throw a little caution flag that like when Timmy has a pick that he's worried about, he does this like, and, and, and the artist is such a good person. And I just like we're gonna we we're gonna have a throwdown at some point about whether or not the art and the right. artist are synonymous. We've kind of almost gone there a couple of times. We've definitely talked about some artists who turned out not to be right. the most wonderful humans who ever lived. But like I don't think you can you can count on that that pass key. Okay. Like you, I'll give it to you with Dolly. But if you if you try with like Garth Book Brooks has given a lot of uh, money to the boys club, I'm bringing it on him. Like, like let's I've, not. I've, I've got some notes here uh, from our, our Kelly pick, but I'll, right, I'll, there I'll we go. Go. get rid of those. Yeah, there we go. Hey, look at this. Hey, we are yo. in, what did I say? 45 minutes? We're an so hour and 15. Close. Pretty good. All right, wait. You guys got to say goodbye oh, to sleeping. Oh, put that. the dog to sleep. Very Albus. nice. <laughs> oh, my God. That is a cute dog, dude. Albus Dumbledog. Uh, all right, Albus guys. Dumbledog. I'll see you. Could we just... It, wait, wait, wait. Oh, is there sorry. a more adorable family in America than the Plain household? I just can't imagine that there is. You guys have a dog named Albus Dumbledog. And they've got four beautiful kids. It's amazing. <laughs> I, tell I, you I do know the little, the, little, the, little, the hop in Tim's step these days. Now that they're all at camp, <laughs> they're it's so a, adorable. They're better. It's going to be great when I have their rooms cleaned and they come back and they start a new, more organized lifestyle. It's going to oh, be I'm awesome. glad that they decided that they wanted that. <laughs> I'm sure they will do nothing but thank you, Tim. That yeah, sounds like a really, a really good idea. Prepare to be loved even more. Gentlemen, <laughs> I will see you in 75. Well done, Timmy. Good job by you. Bye. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.